0: So glad that all of you are here. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to look at one and a half verses, then I'm going to let you be seated. This is Jesus teaching one of the longest sermons that he preached in his entire earthly ministry. It's his most famous sermon, and this is literally the most famous part of his most famous sermon. He is right here in the middle of what we call the Lord's Prayer. It's probably not a good name. It should be called the the disciples prayer because he's not saying pray this he says pray like this so he's given us a model and he right here in the middle of it, he says our father in heaven he's not talking about his daddy he's talking about the source of all life you got to stop looking for answers in the natural and start looking into the almighty as the source of literally everything in your life my source in heaven may your name or your identity be honored and then the, the very key phrase of our, our series that we're in, "May your kingdom come." So many times we want our agenda. So many times we want our preference, so many times we want the things that we like, but something radical begins to happen when we begin to take our agenda and place it on the shelf and say, "Not my will, but your will be done. May your will may your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is." in heaven. Before we're seated, let's lift our hearts and our hands. Jesus, we need your anointing in this house today. We need your presence to overflow in a mighty way today as we unpack your word. Lord, I pray that as we come in this place, don't let us leave that same way. Give us a greater understanding of who you are. Give us a greater understanding of who we are because of you, Lord, and reveal your purpose for us in this house today. Everybody said amen. If you're going to preach with me, you can be seated. I'm so glad that you are all here. Before we get into this, as we do every Sunday, I want to say Buenas Fiwe to all of our family in Kenya. Come on, Nola Church, let's welcome our Kenyan family. We love y'all. Praise God, a lot of amazing things are happening in Kenya. I talked to Pastor John this week and he was so excited. He said, "Papa," because he calls me Dad or Papa. It's going to be one of those names I'm like, "Bro, it's it's money," but like whatever. I already got four kids. I don't need any more, and you're too old to be my child. But whatever, we, we let that go. He said, I got to tell you, God has answered a prayer at our main church in Kasuku, Kenya. A keyboard player joined who has his own keyboard, and now they have live worship in Kasuku. That's awesome, y'all. We, we take it for granted, but we just we show up and there's worship, there's instruments, but like over there, like you're not like bringing a sound system out into the middle of nowhere. And this guy, it joins the church, has a keyboard, knows how to play it, knows how to sing and able to create an atmosphere of worship before the word goes out. So I'm thankful for that. Pastors John and Mary, we love y'all. We're praying for y'all and everybody over there. Also, let me, let me go ahead and give you a heads up about something that is happening today because we are a missional church. Everybody say, I'm a missional church. Like, I don't even know what that means. You about to learn what that means. We, we are starting a church in Loch, Albania, starting in June of next year. We're, we're laying the, the groundwork for this, and today is our first interest meeting for what God is going to do. So if you want to learn about it, by the way, there is no obligation if you come to the interest meeting today, you're not locked into the trip. But if you want to find out about it, if you want to find out what it's going to take to go on the trip, if you want to find out what's going to be happening over there, as soon as the worship experience is over, we're going to be meeting right here in the theater and we're going to be unpacking a little bit of that. We will have another interest meeting in January. So if you're not able to make this one, you can definitely make that one as well. So those are some amazing things coming up. I'm glad to be a part of a church that's not just stuck in one spot. Amen. I'm glad to be a part of a kingdom that's not just about one location. I am so glad that I am a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Amen. Let's take about 10 seconds and give Jesus a hand. Praise. Praise God. I want to welcome all of you to NOLA Church. If this is your first time, welcome home. We are so glad that you're here. And we are honored that you have come to enjoy the presence of God with us today. We are in part six of a series that we started that I just simply titled, This is the Kingdom. Because what's really, really important is because in this day and age, we tend to look at God through the lens of our current experience if if we think a certain way then we think god thinks that way if we, if we believe something we, we think that God said it already because it comes out of our mouth, and especially in this postmodern age where everybody's opinion is declared absolute truth because there is no absolute truth unless it comes from you. That's what society is teaching, and someone challenges this, and we're like, oh, I'm offended, and we live in our feelings all the time. In a, in a society that pushes this agenda, it's very, very important for us to understand as spiritual believers, we are not citizens of a democracy. We live in the United States. Our, our family over in Kenya lives in a completely other governmental structure. They just went through a major governmental change a few months ago. And let me just tell you, like they, they, they were even afraid. We think our elections are bad. Like We're upset. Like Some of you are upset that the counting's not over. Some of you are upset there's going to be a runoff. Some of you all just don't even care. You're like, what in the world are you talking about? Like Over in Kenya... Like, as soon as the election was done, some people got killed because they didn't like. Like, so just, just don't think your system is as bad as you think it is. It, there's always a worser place. But we don't live in a democracy. We do in the United States. But as believers, we don't exist within the realm of a place where we actually get a vote in anything that the king says or does. We live in a spiritual monarchy, which means there is a king who sits on the throne. And the king who sits on the throne has already laid out his plan. He has already laid out his agenda. He has already laid everything out. And he's saying, I want you to be a part of my kingdom. I see things that you don't see because I see the end of a thing all the way back to the beginning of a thing. You're like walking through it. I've already been there because I don't exist inside of time. Time exists inside of me. I'm already preaching whether you're responding or not. And he's, he is saying, I've got a plan, I've got a purpose, I've got a will. And that's what we learned about last week was the will of our king. Learning how to chase the will of our king and actually surrender to the will of our king. So if you missed any part of this, go to nolachurch.com or you can check out our channel on YouTube and you can get caught up on any of the sermons that we've preached. But today is part six and we're going to be talking about the purpose of the king. Everybody say the purpose of the king. Okay, this side said it. Why don't this side join me? Let's all say it together: the purpose of the king. Sound like a bunch of Pentecostals speaking in tongues. Today, the the, the theme of today's sermon is about purpose. This is one of, as a pastor, this is one of the most asked questions that comes to me. And when, when people meet with me or they send me an email pastor i just want to, i just want to know my purpose and anyone ever asked that question i just I, I really want to know what my purpose is like why am i here like why why was i born like why am I in this church why why am I here like purpose is this big deal and this becomes a major issue in people's lives. And when we don't understand our purpose, it becomes like a, like a stumbling block for us. Because I don't know my purpose, so I start stumbling through life trying to figure it out. Or some of us just, I don't know my purpose, so I'm just going to sit here until someone tells me what it is. And for so many people, they don't understand that our purpose is not defined by our opinion. Our purpose is not even defined by our preference. It it would be nice if it were, right? Like my purpose is to sit at the house most days, eat a big old breakfast and then enjoy just a lunch that begins like 10 minutes after breakfast is over and just go all the way until I just roll into the bed. <laughs> that would be amazing. Probably not super healthy. <laughs> I would not be super effective, but like that would be my purpose. This is I, why am I here? To eat. Like they just like, that's not how purpose works. A better way for the word purpose to be defined is actually not by the word purpose at all. It's by the word choice. And nobody get offended. I'm not getting political. I'm going to stay biblical. Is that okay? The word purpose in a biblical sense would be better defined in this way. God's choice. What is God's purpose? It's his choice. For you, it's his choice for me. It's his choice for the body of Christ. Why would you define it that way? Because he's the king. And when you sit on the throne, you're kind of in charge of everything, right? You sit on the throne, like you get to make the rules. You sit on the throne, you're the one who's making all the choices, like all the responsibility rests on you, amen? Like it's all on his shoulders and he's made some strategic choices on our behalf and there's some bad understanding that comes with this and we've spent a little bit of time over the last few months unpacking and realigning some biblical understanding so many people think our calling is our our duty in the church like my calling is my job no that's not the calling is his invitation into a relationship with him everyone who has ever breathed has been called by God so don't look at somebody and say hey I'm called and you're not no everybody's called Someone tells you I'm called and you're not, you don't know what you talk about. Many are called, but few are chosen. There's a big difference between the calling and the choice. The calling is the invitation, the choice is his purpose. So what we're going to be doing over the next few minutes is begin to unpack what the purpose of the king or what God's choice for us actually is. And this brings to mind, all right, so we're in this spiritual monarchy. What is the purpose of our king? Or a better way is like, what's my purpose? Like This is a question we're all the time asking. But you have to understand this, that purpose is only revealed after you see Jesus for who he really is. You can't go to a class after church and learn what your purpose is. You can't. We've tried that. That don't work. You can't even go to seminary, or cemetery, as I like to call it, and, and like learn what your purpose is. You, you can't, because no one can teach you God's choice. You have to simply catch it. And the only way that you catch it is when you come to an understanding of who your king truly is. So, in getting ready for this, Jesus took me to one of my favorite passages of Scripture in Matthew chapter 16. This is, this is such an impactful passage of Scripture because this is where Jesus really starts getting down to the nitty-gritty with his 12 disciples. And he starts showing them things that perhaps they they had heard about as they studied the ancient Scriptures. Or maybe when they went to synagogue, they heard some a, a few things. But it was in Matthew chapter 16 that he begins to literally... Wipe that film of unknowing away from their eyes, and they truly begin to see things that they had only heard about. So, a a couple little things in context before we get into the text, because I want you to understand this. Is is it okay if I kind of paint a little bit of a word picture here today? Okay, you have to understand there's a 30 or 31 year old Hebrew rabbi hanging out with 12 teenagers. Today, that would be a predator. But that was the culture in the day. A rabbi would choose his students or choose his disciples. The word disciple literally means, in the best translation, a student. The rabbi would call his students. And if, if you go and you read in the Gospels, you see him calling. And he would say, come follow me. That's a, the way that a rabbi in the first century would choose his students. Come follow me. I want to show you some things. And then these students would leave everything behind, and then they would go live and walk and travel with the rabbi for a period of time. That period of time depended on the rabbi. In Jesus' case, in his earthly ministry, it was three and a half years. Now, a little bit of context. They were teenage boys, more than likely, possibly early, early 20s. Like, but, but I thought that some of them were married. Well, Peter was married, like Jesus heals his mother. Yeah, but in the day and age, they got married really, really young. Because adulthood began at age 12 or age 13, roughly in that age. So they're, they're already well into life. So th- this is not a bunch of kids in their society. It would be kids in our society. But this, this older man is walking them around. And one of the things that's really interesting about what happens in Matthew 16 is Jesus takes them to a place called Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi is a place that Orthodox Jews would not have gone to in that day and age. The reason is because Caesarea Philippi was a cesspool. That's not why it was called Caesarea Philippi, but I mean, it sounds good. (laughs) It would would be very much like this. How many of you have kids in in NOLA Kids right now? You dropped your kids off before you came in here? Okay, roughly a bunch. It would literally be like you you drop your kids off at NOLA Kids, you check them in, and and the army wavy dude is like doing his thing, and you're like, yeah, it's fine. I'm going to go in here and worship. And as soon as you come in here and worship, they load your kids up in a van and take them to Bourbon Street. Except worse. Caesarea Philippi was a city that was dedicated to the pagan worship of the pagan god Pan, who was the god of fear. And part of the worship of the pagan god Pan was they would sacrifice their children at different seasons of the year to assuage fear's domination over them. And they would take their children and throw them off the cliff in in subservience and sacrifice. This was a place where human sacrifice happened. There was was also the worship of Tammuz. If you've spent any time reading the book of Ezekiel in, in Pan's temple in the city of Caesarea Philippi, they practiced the worship of Tammuz, which one of the things involved temple prostitutes. And they would the the men who were also temple prostitutes would go into the place and they would literally castrate themselves and throw their paraphernalia into the altar as part of their worship. This is not a good place. Like, oh my God, we got an R-rated sermon. I promise you, you heard worse on your way to church. This is where Jesus takes these teenagers. He wasn't like being the cool preacher. He brought them here for a very specific purpose. You get about halfway down into chapter 16, and this is where he sits them down in this extremely awkward place, and he says, I'm going to ask you some questions because things are about to change. So far, you've just been learning some Proverbs. So, so far, you, you just think you're learning how to understand the Scriptures a little bit, but I'm going to show you something that perhaps, my friend, you've never even realized And he did it in in the form and fashion of how rabbis do their teaching. He began to ask them questions. And he looks at these guys that he has spent time with day in, day out, unpacking his truth to them. And he says, who do people say that I am? And they're like, oh, we've been hearing some stuff about what people think about you. Let me tell you what some people think. And people, complete misunderstanding of who Jesus is. They think you're this dude. They think you're this dude that died centuries ago. They think you're the reincarnation. It's really cool. And you're like, oh, Jesus is being very self-serving. He's, he's like wanting to get the affirmation statement. Oh, who do they think I am? How do you feel like I did today? Like that, No, that's not what he's doing. Today was amazing. How was I? No, that, that's not what he's doing at all. That's not at all what's happening. Jesus looks at them and says, what are people saying? Because I want want to know if you've been paying attention to the impact of the gospel in the world in which I planted you. And if you've noticed what they're saying about me, now let me take it down where the rubber meets the road. Who do you say that I am? Here's the question. Who do you say Jesus is? Is he some some secondary deity? Is he a member of God's council? Is he a historical figure that thought much better of himself than he should have? Is he Satan's brother? No Mormons in the house? Is he the offspring of a deified woman? Brought that a little bit closer to home. Who is Jesus to you? Have you ever thought about it? Do you even know? No, I'm not coming for him. I'm asking like legitimate questions. here. like, do, do you know? Because this is it, that awkward feeling that you have right now. I don't really know what to say. Like, <laughs> that's exactly how the disciples felt. That's exactly like Jesus. Like, well, who do you say? Like, oh. Big bad Bart, Bartholomew is like, I don't know. Thomas is like, I, I think I know, but I'm, I doubt it a little bit. <laughs> Bible nerd right there. John's like, I love you, Jesus. James is like, can I be your best friend? And Peter's like, let me tell you something. Peter gets so excited, but you have to understand the context of what's happening. And we hadn't even got to do the sermon. Y'all, y'all hang out with me while I chase this rabbit, all right? It ain't even Easter and it's rabbit chasing. But you got to get this. Peter is surrounded by a bunch of teenage Hebrew boys hanging out with a rabbi in a place that they should never have gone because, like, they weren't Christians, but it's not a place that Christians should hang out at all, much less Orthodox Jews. Like, this is, this is a rough place. This is bad. And now you're asking me questions about you? I'm really scared to say, why did Jesus take them there? Here's the reason I believe Jesus took them to Caesarea Philippi. Because if he had asked this question on the city streets in Jerusalem and somebody overheard it, they would all get in trouble politically and religiously. So he takes them to a place that religious people would never go to teach them something that religious people could never teach them. And he says, who do you say that I am? And they're all silent. And Peter, Simon, Cephas, all the various names that he has throughout the New Testament. Bob, I don't know, you know, like all of these names. He gets all excited. in his impetuous attitude, he's like, I know who you are. I'm, I'm going to say it. You're Messiah, the son of the living God. Okay, now, right now, you just heard, you're this religious dude, and your daddy is God. That's what you just heard, because that's how we think. That ain't how they thought. Because Messiah doesn't mean offspring of deity. In the truest sense of the word Messiah, with a capital M, It literally means the physical image of the invisible with a capital I. In other words, I am looking at the one who simply is. I am looking at the one who had a thought in his head, and when he opened his mouth and began to speak, creation began to happen. I am looking at the one whose image I am created into. You see, in this day and age, him to even say that would be blasphemy. For him to say, I am looking at God wearing a skin suit, would get him arrested. Not only would he be kicked out of the church, there's a good chance they would take matters into their own hands and kill him. Because the religious never want truth to come out. They just want to keep you locked behind a wall of misunderstanding, so you lean on them instead of going to the arms of the Almighty. So Jesus takes them to this place, and he reveals something about himself, and then he reveals something about each one of them. He looks at Simon, he says, hey, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. In other words, I know your daddy. Your daddy's name is Jonah, or different translations say John. I know who you are. I know everything about you, Simon. I know every, every failure in your life. I know every win in your life. I know every challenge you've ever experienced. I know everything about you. And I say that you are Petros. The word that is translated into our language is Peter. And the first time it's mentioned, we see it as a name. But that's not what Jesus said. He didn't call him, here's your new name. He called him Gravel. He looks at Simon, who is excited about who he understood Jesus to be, and says, you're nothing I can build on. It's interesting that religion makes Peter the foundation of the church. You got it wrong. He looks at him and says, you are Petros. You see, Petros means a mass of misshapen rock, gravel. Any contractors in the house? Anybody know how to build things? Husbands, you don't know how to build things? Go to YouTube, learn how to build things. Whole lot more happy times when you learn how to build things. I remember my brother had been been married like six months, and he built a table for his wife. They were traveling around the country, preaching in different places, and they had this little travel trailer that they pulled around behind their their truck, and he built her a table, and it was so fun. He was so proud of building this table. Sets it up in their little camper, and like she comes and puts a vase on it. It was just like something out of a cartoon. She put the vase on, and the thing fell down. He has built nothing since. (laughs) But if you know anything about construction or building or just logic, you don't build anything on gravel because it's not a firm foundation. Because gravel shifts. Somebody walks through, instead of toe to heel, they walk heel to toe, and they're like, and the whole foundation rattles. Everything that's built on gravel is going to shift. Remember a few weeks ago, we learned that shift happens, right? It's going to happen in your life. What is your foundation? Who is your foundation is a better way to put it. And he looks at Peter and says, look, you you know what you're talking about. But Pete, I want you to understand this. Simon, I want you to understand this. I know everything about you. You're gravel. I can't build anything on you. And then he makes another statement upon this rock. When he says the word Petros the second time, there is a proper connotation added to it. So the first time he's talking about little tiny rocks. The second time he is talking about a mass of impenetrable granite. Now you can build things on a mass of impenetrable granite. I'm not saying go build your house on a granite rock. You're you're not going to get any of the foundation boards down into it. But it's not going to shift when life happens. Jesus, the second time he says the word Petros in this text, is not talking about Peter. That's why Peter is not the foundation of the church. He is talking about himself, and he's literally talking about the understanding that Peter had just spoke out of his mouth. When Peter said, you are Messiah, the son of the living God, what Peter is saying is, I know who you are. And Jesus says, I can build on that understanding. So what you've got to get is this, when you understand who Jesus is, that is the only time you can begin to understand who you are. And something that we've been doing over the last year and a half is we've been unpacking the word of God. We spent several months, like I I titled the series Exposing Jesus, not in a creepy way, but I, I took you back through the Old Testament and I showed you through the entire book of Genesis, every place that we can see the foreshadowing of who is to come. Because I want you to understand this is not just a happy little accident that Bob Ross painted into history. This is a truth that has been in the mind and the plan and the purpose of your God since before time ever began. And when you understand who it is who calls you, when you understand who it is who sits on the eternal throne, when you begin to understand who it is who robed himself in flesh and stretched himself wide and gave his life on a cross and then resurrected out of a tomb on the third day, now you can begin to understand who you are. Man, y'all gonna make me preach and they didn't even bring me no water so look at your neighbor and say, ah! purpose pastor who's Jesus Uh, you didn't understand my question no I did first off I can't tell you what your purpose is I can only point you to the one who is your purpose what's my purpose in life who's Jesus to you does that make sense so let's, let's, before I complete a run of time, here it is. Matthew chapter 16, just a few verses after everything. And we spent some time exposing, I forgot about that a second, let me come back to it. One of the things that we learned is that in the Hebrew context, in the beginning, that phrase from the very first verse of the Bible, it's the Hebrew word that I can't say real good. I'm going to try because I'm going to mess it up and y'all going to laugh it at me. And that just, I don't like that very much when y'all laugh at me. Y'all didn't know the answer either, but Whatever. It's The best way to translate it, it's not in the phrase in the beginning. It's the better way to translate translate it is when the beginning happened. And here's the thing that you begin to understand is any time after this point in the Bible, and uh, try it, just try it. It's really cool. I I, I Bible nerd out all the time. When you see the word when placed into the text, look for it. Nine out of ten times, it's pointing to something new that is about to happen. Because you see, God is a God of new beginnings. And he meets you in a moment where things begin to fall apart and he speaks order into the chaos that has ensued around you and a new beginning begins to happen. I don't know about y'all, but I am so thankful for the genesis that he keeps bringing over and over and over. Just a few verses before where we're going to read, there's a new beginning because he reveals himself to To them, and he reveals them to them as well. And that's when he begins to teach them what's about to happen. He begins to teach them his purpose so that they understand their purpose. Let's look at verse 24. In verse 24, verse verse 21 is where the new beginning happens, but verse 24 is where he begins to unpack what this new beginning looks like. And Jesus says to his disciples, if anyone wants to become my follower... Anybody want to be a follower of Jesus? Don't look at the screen. Anybody want to be a follower of Jesus? Cool. That's awesome. Sounds good. I like Jesus Fish. I like Hobby Lobby and Chick fil A and contemporary Christian music. What's wrong with you? But whatever. You want to be my follower? You're going to have to deny yourself. I'm done. You're going to have to take up your cross. Oh, nope only use crosses on halloween to stave off the dem- the vampires <laughs> and to make myself look spiritual you got to deny yourself you got to take up your cross and follow me <laughs> that's not what I signed up for i would like to know my purpose now pastor could you please explain my purpose yeah deny yourself <laughs> Take up your cross and follow Jesus. Because here's the here's the deal y'all, the only way to know God's purpose for your life is to know his life. How am I going to know his life? You got to deny yourself. See because you can't get there from here. You can't get there from where you are. You have to deny yourself first. Then you have to take up your cross. That that just sounds so spiritual. Let me put this in a context you can better understand. Pick up your AK-47 that is going to be used to murder you and carry that. Got quiet. Pick up your gat. I grew up in Zion City in Baton Rouge. I am street. Master P played in the same playground I played in. I know what's up. You don't know me. What? That's about as far as I can go. I'm just being real. You can't go very far wearing them socks. I'm just saying. the weapon of mass destruction that is not intended to protect you or to take ground from anybody else, but instead it's designed to murder you and carry that. You see, the cross was not a beautiful piece of decoration hung on the wall of religious people. It actually was the streetlights of the city. Because they would take the criminals and they would hang them on crosses and leave them hanging there. And then when it became nighttime, they would set them on fire so that you could walk down the Roman road in a beautiful, well-lit candelabra. It's losing a little bit of of its beauty now, isn't it? I love the cross. Really? What's wrong with you? Who hurt you? Pastor, that's so macabre. No, no, that's truth. When Jesus turns around to these Hebrew boys who he has just revealed himself to, he says, you're going to have to deny yourself and you're going to have to pick up the thing that's going to destroy you and carry it. God, please set me free of all the trials in my life. Sorry, I can't do that, baby. You got to carry that cross. I'm not going to nail you to it, but I want you to carry the thing that is meant to destroy you because I'm going to show you how to have victory over that if you trust me and if you follow me. So let's get in. What is the purpose of God? I spent a little bit too much time laying foundation. Let me breeze through this as quickly as I can. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow Jesus. This is what it looks like. Let's first look at deny yourself. Everybody say, deny me. Deny me. First John chapter 2. We're going to look at two verses. This is what John the Beloved says. 50 to 60 years after Jesus is ascended back into the realm of God. And this is what he says. And now by this, everybody say this. We know that we have come to know God. In other words, the reason I had you say that, I want you to understand this. How am I going to know God? By this. I really wish I could take a class to know God. I'm about to show you and save you all the money from the class. (laughs) Verse 6. or Right before verse 6. If we keep his commandments. Y'all remember those if then statements that we've been talking about a lot? I know God because I read his book. I listened to his songs. I tattooed his tetragrammaton on the inside of my arm. I don't know what it means, but I tattooed it there because it sounded good. Do you know him? Because the only way you're going to know if you know him is if you keep his commandments. You're not a disciple of Jesus if you don't keep his commandments. Well, this is my struggle. You ain't his disciple. That's hate speech. No, that's truth speech. Get out of your feelings. Listen to truth every now and then. And you won't keep going back into your feelings. Because you'll learn how to have victory and power over your feelings. Look at verse 6. The one who says he resides in God ought himself to walk Just as Jesus walked. You can't know your purpose until you understand the life of the one who gives you purpose. Because outside of Jesus, there is no purpose. And if you say you're a follower, you're going to have to obey him. And you're going to have to imitate him. you got to trust him. you got to rely on him. And you have to obey him. But I know he's there. Cool. Even the fallen angels know that he's there. You're not in real good company just knowing that he's there. If you know he's there, awesome. What are you going to do about it? Are you going to trust him to be who he says he is? Are you going to trust him enough to rely on him as the source instead of trying to be your own source through every situation in your life? And do you trust him enough to obey the words even when you don't un- Well, I would obey, but I don't understand. He didn't say understand. He said to obey. Right. Understanding comes from wisdom, and that's a gift of his spirit when he breathes it into you. There's a good chance that as a believer, if you don't lean into the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you'll never have understanding. Why do I need the baptism of the Holy Spirit? So you can understand what the world you're reading. I don't understand the Bible. Do you have the Holy Spirit? No, I, I, that wasn't for me. I can tell you didn't read the Bible. I can't teach you how to understand the Bible. Only the teacher can. Only the breath of the Almighty God, the Ruach, the, the name of God breathed into you, the power and the majesty of everything that he is breathed into can give you the understanding. That's why you're chasing all these other things in life. You don't have understanding. You can't keep his commandments because you don't have understanding. You don't have the strength because he's also your strength. He's also your comfort. He's also your help. You need the Holy Spirit active in your life. Amen, amen, amen. amen. The one who says he resides in God. Any, any Christians in the house today? Y'all scared to raise your hand. <laughs> I thought I <it> was. <laughs> A little bit... You say you're a believer. If you put that out there into the world, I'm a believer. Do you walk like him? Do you talk like him? Yeah, until you cut me off in traffic. <laughs> then I talk like you. I live different until I'm by myself and I'm away from all the other believers and then I live however I want to at that point. I, I, I trust God until society like starts coming for me. And their view, the mob view, begins to disagree with this, and then I 'm like, "Oh no, because you know I, I have to fit into the world, really? how 's that working out for you How 's that struggle working out for you? Anybody want to be free of the struggle? I know I do I 'm tired of the struggle. Why don 't we start walking the way that he walked? only way to do that, my friend, is to deny yourself. take your preferences, take your comforts, take your religious opinions. Take your past understanding. Take your past experience with God. Don't throw it away. Just say that's not all there is. There's more because I'm connected to a never-ending God. There's no way I have experienced everything that there is. Deny yourself, then walk into the next step. In other words, what is deny yourself? It means be a Christ imitator. The word Christian doesn't mean religiously following jesus it literally was an insult in the city of ephesus that meant little christ put it in a context you acting like you're somebody else you're a christ imitator it was not a badge of honor it was an insult that they said yeah that sounds good i'll take that but here's the truth let me ask you this how many of us actually imitate him how many of us christians actually imitate jesus yeah, I'll move off of that because y'all starting to get upset at me, and you know, like I'm messing with you. All right, so that's deny yourself. Let's go to something that's way more pleasant. Let's take up our cross. <laughs> what does that mean? You got to endure the suffering. I'm done. I'm out. He didn't call you to comfort. He didn't. Discipleship is not free, friend. Belief is free. Discipleship will cost you everything. I don't like that. Then you're not a disciple. I love you. God loves you. But you're not a disciple. Let's stop lying to ourselves and to the world. Let's stop putting up a false flag. If we deny ourselves, it's a whole lot easier to take up our cross and endure the suffering. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 19 to 21. He says, for this finds God's favor. Anybody know how to find the favor of God? This. Everybody say this. Yes. If. Uh, these ifs keep popping up in the Bible. There's a constant if then. It's just supposed to happen. No, it's not. This finds God's favor. If because of conscience toward God... Someone endures hardships in suffering unjustly. Notice what that says. If in your pursuit of relationship with Jesus, you go through suffering unjustly. Not because you acted like a turd burglar and treated everybody bad. Not when you lost your cookies on the waiter or the waitress at the restaurant and cussed them out because your food was lukewarm when it should have been hot. Not when they say something on Facebook that you don't agree with or not when your team that you've put all of your life's value in loses. And you lose it. That's not suffering. That's life. But if you're chasing Jesus, and because you're chasing Jesus, you start facing opposition, that's what finds God's favor. God's mean. No, God's not mean. He just gives you favor when you're going through suffering because of him. What is favor? Grace. I live in grace. That means I can live how I want to. No, that ain't what that means. Grace is the power to live free from the bondage of sin. It's not freedom to live how you want. It's the power to live an overcoming life. And if you want the power to live an overcoming life, you're going to go through some suffering. Get out of your feelings and realize I'm going to face some things because I am living in opposition to a kingdom that is not of this world. When you push back on the system of the world, you're going to face some opposition. Here's the deal if you're not finding opposition, don't blame it on God. God doesn't move in the clear and the beautiful. When God pulls on you, you're going to face some opposition. Don't confuse peace for God's approval. Don't approve, or don't confuse comfort for the enemy not fighting. Here's the deal the enemy doesn't fight you if you're not a threat. This too real this morning? if you 're not accomplishing anything for God, the enemy has no reason to come for you. The enemy has attacked me. You might want to start doing some things for God. that 's because you ain't done Jack. You're so full of potential, but potential just means you have done nothing with what's already in you. It's time to start wringing out the potential and start accomplishing some things for the kingdom that spreads the kingdom out. And the enemy wakes up and says, Hey, what in the world's going on over there? You're not going to find purpose free from suffering because you're going to go through some challenges. I know that's not popular. It's still true, though. Don't get mad at me. That's the word of God. For what credit is it to you if you sin? And you're mistreated and endure it. That's just breathing. But if you do good and suffer and so endure, this finds favor with God. Not just the suffering. God's not maniacal. He's not a pervert trying to hurt you and getting off on it. When you face the suffering and you endure it because you know who you belong to. And you say, I'm not backing down no matter what comes my way. I don't care how uncomfortable it gets. I am not backing down. I'm putting my shoulder to the plow, and I'm going to push through. When you endure, not just when you're called, not just when you're chosen, but when you are faithful to the one who called you in the first place, he says, I will give my grace. I will give my favor. I will breathe my strength completely into your situation verse 21 for to this everybody say this you were called in other words you were called to suffering they didn't teach me that sorry they lied to you but that's why you were called since Christ also suffered for you notice this leaving an example for you to follow in his steps this hurts Lord could you take me out of it nope If it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. I don't want to taste the cup of suffering that literally embodies every sin that ever has been committed or ever will be committed because my lips that are divine have never tasted sin. But in the moment that I take this cup and I take it into myself, I am not just tasting sin. I am who is the one who is sinless, literally becomes sin. I don't want to do it, but nevertheless, not what's comfortable. What are you talking about, Pastor? Jesus in the garden Struggling. He suffered for you. How dare we think we can go through with Christian comfort? Here's the deal. The North American church doesn't even know anything about suffering. Our church in Kenya, uh, up up in the northwestern area, wasn't all that long ago that people were breaking into the places where they were gathering and they were literally mass murdering them in front of everybody. They were taking children out of mothers' hands and slicing their throat in front of the parents because they named the name of Christ. And we think we're suffering because someone unfollows us on Facebook. Or we have a bad day. Or someone doesn't shake our hand. Or someone does something we don't like. This is, uh, is persecution. You ain't been persecuted, baby. You don't even know how to spell persecution. But we will. You're going to have a moment that you go through hell in your life. But understand this, when you're going through hell, because of the name of Christ, he's going to breathe grace and favor and strength. And you're not going to stay in that when you depend on him. So follow Jesus. That's step three. You got to deny yourself. You got to take up your cross and then you got to follow Jesus. What about that purpose thing? His purpose is only revealed through his choice for you. Not your choice for yourself. His choice. Back up a little bit in First Peter to verse nine. It says, But you are a chosen race. By the way, I'm gonna be busting wokeism right here for the next few phrases. I don't know what wokeism is. The culture of the age. There's not multiple races. The color of your skin is not your identity. It's a chemical in your skin that either gives you a better tan or more translucence, like myself. <laughs> okay? You're not a different race. There's only one race human race. But when you lean into the kingdom of the Almighty, He does say you're a different race, the chosen race. Many are called, few are chosen. A royal priesthood. Oh, that sounds cool. That sounds amazing. What's a royal priesthood? you got to go look at Hebrews chapter 7. Jesus was a priest in the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek was an Old Testament theophany of Jesus himself. What does that mean? That's a cool word a physical manifestation of the Almighty that appears but does not remain. Melchizedek had no father, had no mother, had no beginning, had no ending. He was and then he was not. The Levitical priesthood that comes about in in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy happens after the royal priesthood. You see, Melchizedek was a king of Salem, the king of the city that is now known as Jerusalem, the king of peace. Interesting. This political party thinks Jerusalem belongs to them. The Theophany or the physical image of the almighty out of time already established himself as the king in that city before the city was ever established as his own. You want to come to the the classes in January when we start them about the book of Revelation, you'll learn a whole lot of stuff there. But Melchizedek was not in the Levitical order. The Levitical order was the descendant of Aaron. Jesus was not even from the tribe of Levi. Aaron was from the tribe of Levi. He was literally the first Levitical priest. They had to offer sacrifices for themselves. That's what we learn in Hebrews chapter 7. And then offer sacrifices for the people. Jesus was from the tribe of Judah. Melchizedek was there before any of the tribes ever existed. Melchizedek is appearing to Abraham before Abraham had any children. Now, Chesedek was a royal priest because he was a king and a priest. Isn't it interesting that when you get all the way into the New Testament, Jesus is speaking through Peter because everything in Scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit and, and Peter begins to unpack something for all of the believers and by the way, that applies to all of us because we believe in Jesus and we've been grafted into the spiritual bloodline of Abraham and now all of the promises apply to us. Woo, somebody needs to hear me on that. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood in the same order that Jesus appeared in. Not only do you have royal responsibility, you have spiritual responsibility. You're a holy nation. What does that mean? Not that you're religious. That means you're separated. Stop trying to fit into the world. Stop trying to be like the world. It's time to start living separate from the world. Come out from among them and be separate. Live separate. Without holiness, no man can see God. It's time to live a separated life. A people of his own. Who do you belong to? Look at your neighbor and say, "Who your daddy? Not who's your daddy. Who your daddy? you got to say it right. Why do I need to know all this? Why, why is all this important? For your purpose. It's for your purpose. Get your pen out. Get your, get your phone out. Take a picture of the bottom part of this scripture. Pastor, I want to know my purpose. It's on the screen. You're his own. You're his choice. God chose you. Here's your purpose. So that you may proclaim the virtues of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. But I really, I like doing this for a living. Go do that for a living. That's not your purpose. I like reading these books. That's not your purpose. Y'all remember my best day, like breakfast and then like the never ending lunch. This is the lunch that never ends. That's not my purpose. I'm sorry. I should never do that again. I was called to go to school. No, No, you weren't. You were not. Nothing wrong with going to school, by the way. You, if you're in school, stay in school, study, to show that self-approved a workman. Then that's not what it's about. But yeah, we can definitely apply it there. I was called into this relationship with this person. No, you were not. The Lord called me into this marriage. No, He did not. You chose that person. Now deal with it. Stop trying to get out of it. Tyler, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Amber's like, what? <laughs> I'm joking. You choose them, live with them. Stop living with them before it's time to do it right, and then you won't have as many problems. I'm just saying, do it right. My calling is, no, that's not it. You're called to be a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, people who understand who they belong to people who have submitted to the choice of the only one who is qualified to make a choice because he sees the end of a thing from the beginning of a thing. I don't know if you catch that. He doesn't see it from the beginning to the end. He's already been where it's over and he sees it from that point all the way back to before it ever started. That's what qualifies him. You're not qualified because you're walking through it. You're qualified when you have already completed the race. He's already passed the race because he started it and he finished it so that you may proclaim the virtues of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So, so how, all right, that's cool, but I need some how to's. How do I live that? Because that's not what I'm used to hearing. Here's the deal. I'm going to give you three. Y'all ready? They're going to be on the screen. Number one, live your calling. Stop living your confidence. Start living your calling. If your calling is his pull into relationship with him, start living that. Stop living everything else. Start living your calling. Number two, accept his choice. Stop trying to vote on it. Stop trying to lobby for him to change his mind. I am God. I do not change. I've already decided this. I've already chosen you as a chosen people. Stop fighting. And number three, be faithful. It's not all that important to respond to a call. The true value and the true test of your mettle as a believer is when you're faithful, when everything in your comfort zone falls apart. You'll find out where your belief truly is when every option starts popping up in front of you and you choose the path of least resistance. What are you talking about, Pastor? I'm, I'm talking about purpose, it's not about comfort. It's not about preference. Like, what is he talking about? I've been talking about this for like 18 months, y'all. This is nothing new. What's he dealing with? I'm, not de- I'm, I'm dealing with humanity. I'm dealing with all of us. Because you see, God is taking us into a place where he wants to manifest his presence in this congregation on the daily, not just on Sunday, but on the daily. And unless we are willing to place him on the throne of our lives, you see, he's already on the throne of life, but he doesn't sit on the throne of our lives. Because we don't make room for him to sit on that throne because we really like our padded seat. It's time to vacate the throne and say, King of glory. King of glory, I'm done. I'm done. I tried. Everything I try falls apart. And I'm standing here in the king of my own domain like the emperor who had no clothes on. Standing here naked, completely exposed for who I really am. Thinking I know things because I read a few books and I did some things for God in the past. Oh, there. No, no, baby, you ain't even realized. Because every time you take a step into comfort, you're taking a step away from purpose. But if you can say, no, I trust the one who simply is not was the one who simply is. And I believe that he is faithful to give me the strength to endure no matter how hard it gets. And I'm not backing up no matter what happens. I'm not doing this on my own. Yeah, it's a struggle. Yes, I don't like it. It sucks. But God is greater because greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Pastor, can we talk about my feelings? I'm sorry we don't have time. I'm too busy chasing purpose. Pastor, can we talk about how that made me feel? Absolutely not. You need to stop talking about how you made you feel and you need to start talking about who gave you the power and the grace and the favor to overcome every one of those feelings. And if he called you into this and he chose you, he's gonna be with you all the way through the middle of it. All you need to do is learn to surrender because if he brought you this far, he's gonna take you all the way to the finish line. Oh, my God, I wish somebody in this house would understand the power of what real favor and real purpose is. God is making some choices for some of you, and he's saying, I've got something so great for you. And it's right there. You're right there on the edge, and you're about to step into comfort. And he's like, no, 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 no. Trust me. Be faithful, because if you will endure, I've got a prize for you. I don't preach like this 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 ain't me but the breath of the almighty has breathed into this place and he's breathing up and down these rows and he's saying you're not who you thought you were it's not an accident it's purposeful my purpose. I know you don't understand it. I know you don't like it. Let me come minister to you just like I did in the order I created and called Eden. Where I would come and minister to my image bearers, Adam and Eve, in the winds that cooled the day. Let me breathe into your chaos. Let me breathe into your suffering. Let me breathe into your fights. Let me breathe into your disorder. Let me breathe into your preference so that you will know that I am God. But do you know me? Every eye closed, every head bowed, nobody looking around. Here's how you live your calling. Be example of abundant life, not existence. Point people to the source, not to invitations. And provide a pathway for them to the kingdom. Let me unpack this for you real quick. What? Nobody looking around. We're going to go back into worship here in a second. We're going to be baptizing some people into the mighty name of Jesus But I want you to listen to me. How do you live your calling? It's very simple. Don't share your drama. Don't share your drama. Stop talking about the problem. Because when you talk about the problem, you idolize it and you give it air in your life. And it begins to speak into the chaos in which you're living. Stop sharing your drama. Cut off its air supply. And you will be ushered into order. Live your calling, not your drama. So stop sharing it. How do you accept his choice? Talk about Jesus, not yourself. When you're sharing your story, you're not sharing what's happened to you. You're sharing what Jesus has done in your life. You're actually not talking about yourself. You're talking about the one who has changed you. Talk about Jesus, not yourself. And then how are you faithful? Here's the only way to be a faithful citizen of the kingdom. Invite people to be a citizen of the kingdom that you're a citizen of. And watch what God begins to do in your life. When we live this way, purpose is not something that can be taught. Purpose is something that we begin to be elevated into. As we lower ourselves, he ushers us into another place of responsibility that's completely decided by his choice. Nobody's looking around. If purpose we begins in our life when we know who he is, let me ask you this question. No one answer out loud. I just want you to, who is Jesus to you? Is his name just a frustrated cuss word that you yell out when life gets bad? Or someone takes advantage of you? Is he a religious figure? Is he some ancient guy who lived in a culture that you know very little about? Or is it possible that he is exactly who he says he is when he says, when you have seen me, you have seen the source of everything. Because when you begin to see him as the physical image of the almighty invisible, you begin to understand the power of a name. You begin to understand that in that name, demons have to flee. The reason demons aren't leaving you alone is because you're not using the name. You're using religion. You're losing, you're using your own strength and the demons are camping out in your life and addiction is camping out in your life because you're relying on your own strength you need to surrender to the name and to the one who is the only one who is worthy of the name here's the question who is Jesus to you I am going to lead us all in repentance here real quick before we go into water baptism I want you to say this prayer in your own words and that, by the way when you say this prayer it's not going to save you I'm just going to show you how you step into the position where the repentance can take root I want you to say this say, say something like this Jesus come sit on the throne of my life your name is greater than my identity and your choice is so much better in my misunderstanding be my God I know that you existed but give me the strength to understand that you still are and I know that you live but come alive in me Lord let your kingdom come let your will be done in my life the way your will is already being done in heaven just take a couple seconds here in fact it would be a really good time just start telling Jesus how much you love him maybe you could say it like this say worthy is your name Jesus Jesus you deserve the praise worthy is your name Come on say it to him worthy is your name